Today's program is brought to you by Firesider, a health tonic based on the traditional New England cure-all of raw apple cider vinegar and honey. For more information, visit Firesider.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Fun Men About, About it. it on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And, oh. and I'm Rachel Jacobs. <laughs> and we're your co-host in this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. So here we are. It's episode 149. We're in New York City. A lot of fun stuff is happening locally uh, in the weeks to come. Uh, but nationally... Today... Oh, no... I've got <laughs> I have a computer. My computer in front of me. And I, I flipped off the tab. Today is the 37th anniversary of homebrew legislation. So uh, H- HR 1337, which contained an amendment sponsored by Senator Alan Cranston, creating an exemption from taxation for beer brewed at home for personal or family use was passed on October 14th, 1978, and February 1st, 1979, homebrewing was officially recognized as federally legal. The rest is homebrew history. Yay! A uh, little funny fact. I have Alan Cranston's signature on the back of a shirt. I was a precinct leader for Democratic uh, primaries uh, working for Michael Dukakis as I was eight years old. Thank you very much. <laughs> that's a really I'm very weird, excited. I, that's I'm a really very weird excited fact, to Alan Chris. Cranston, man. I'm, little did I know his significance in my what, in my future years. <laughs> so, what else is going on in the, in the world of homebrew? Very important. This week, starting today and ending on February seventh, is the National Homebrewers Conference 2016 competition registration. So, if you are entering, or if you would like to judge and steward, and definitely sites are interested in qualified judges, and anybody you can volunteer as a steward please go to brewingcompetition.com yes <laughs> i was gonna say you could find out more about it at homebrewersassociation.org slash competitions so if you're not familiar with the competition or um what it takes feel free to stop by there first and get all the scoop you can also see a list of um all of the locations that will be judging first round that's right and i'm uh, i'm organizing our regionals here and i need your help so go to brewingcompetition.com <laughs> to support Let's see. We have New York City Beer Week is coming up. That begins February 19th? February 19th to February 28th. A bunch of events happening all throughout New York City. A bunch of participating venues, uh, partner venues. Uh, We have uh, an opening bash on a boat on Saturday, the the 20th. On Friday, uh, we have a simultap with New York State. A bunch of a bunch of us as the, as uh, the, the New York City Brewers Guild have have gotten together and we are brewing smash beers in this case single or uh, state malt and state hop beers using all New York State ingredients um, and there'll be a series of those throughout the week they're launching that week it's going to be pretty delicious and fun and that was fun last year I mean we actually Chris and I brewed one for Cousette Libations that was our first uh, Cousette Libations beer which was a grisette. So we, we actually participated last year, but it was really fun to try to see what everybody did with, with these ingredients. It was almost like Iron Chef. Everybody had, had to use the same, only the same, the same three malts and the same three hops, mm-hmm. uh, and everybody just 
came out of the box with creative and delicious things. Absolutely. But there's a lot of homebrew events happening that week as well. Well, Josh Bernstein is, has, is actually uh, co-hosting two events. The first is the Homebrew Jamboree. That is sold out. But he and Chris are doing Winter's Grind at Arrogant Swine Take Two. It's Saturday, February 27th from 1 to 4 p.m. There will be homebrews, uh, including yours truly, um, as well as commercial breweries participating. Their tickets are still available. I think they're around between a third and a half sold out. They will sell out. So if you're interested in going, there's a huge tent. There's going to be tons of sausage, great beer. Uh, to find out more about this, you can go to joshuambernstein.com. That's joshuambernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N.com. The second event is Ignite Brooklyn Beer Community Celebration, February 28th at Dirk the Norseman. I don't have the exact hours for that, um, but that's going to be a celebration of homebrewers as well. So if you're a homebrewer in New York City and you would like to pour your beer at that event, you will get free entrance. Um, send us... There is a sign-up sheet and there are still spots available. Send, send us an email at fomentabout at gmail.com and we will forward you the information. <laughs> yep, that, that whole thing is uh, still being sorted by our friends at Dirk Norseman. Um, yeah. But to find out more events about the whole week in general, go to nycbeerweek.com. Uh, and most or all of these will be included on that site. All right, that's all the announcements I have today. <laughs> um, all right, so we have a very cool guest on. We have Bart Watson, PhD, who is the chief economist of the Brewers Association. Are you there, Bart? I'm here. You're calling in from snowy Colorado? I am. We're getting a little bit of a snowstorm this week. Bart, thanks for joining us. Yeah. We're really, we've wanted to have you on for a very long time. Last time we saw you was at the uh, Craft Brewers Conference. Um, oh, Great American, no, oh, Great American Beer, Festival. Beer Festival. And Marty Jones had a panel, and we had just crossed 4,000 breweries in the United States, and that's that was a pretty exciting number. Yeah, it is. It's an exciting time to be in beer, so uh, thanks for having me on the show. So tell us, who are you, first of all? Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So I'm Chief Economist of the Brewers Association. Um, Brewers Association, for those who don't know, is a national not-for-profit that represents America's more than 4,000 small and independent craft brewers. Um, my background is as an academic. I got a Ph.D. in political economy at the University of California, Berkeley, and, and then was a professor for a couple of years. And um, by just kind of lucky sheer chance, stumbled across this job um, one day when I was preparing a lecture on excise taxes. I applied, and, and here I am, and now I have the greatest job in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit, what do you do as the BA's chief economist? Well, I get to wear a lot of hats, um, but, you know, primarily we're working for our members, our small and independent brewers, so um, I do a lot of analysis that's helpful to them. Um, one of the biggest things which we're doing right now is our beer industry production survey, where we try to get a production figure for every brewery in the country um, and then do all sorts of analysis on that that we think will be helpful to our members. But, you know, more generally I do surveys and economic analysis that we think will be useful for small brewers. So we do a, a benchmarking survey that allows them to benchmark their business against um, you know, what average breweries are doing. Um, we do all sorts of other statistical work to try to help breweries as they grow in their business plans or looking for financing for expansion. And, and I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one member requests, too, where breweries email me questions, and I try to help them find the right information. Awesome. So uh, what kind of information are you uh, gathering uh, for this survey? Uh, for the beer industry production survey, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, it's basically a production number, employment number, a capacity number, um, and, and new the last couple of years we're asking um, how much breweries sold at their brewery, trying to get a handle on 
the percentage of beer in this country that's going directly through breweries because that's often not measured in other channels. So you can get a lot of data from, say, supermarket scans, but increasingly uh, beer lovers are buying beer directly at breweries. So we're trying to measure how large that is and, and get a handle on that. So this one's just about measuring the health of the industry and growth. And that number is growing a lot with the with changes in individual state laws, correct? Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, it still varies state by state, and, and there are still states where breweries don't have that right to sell directly. But it's certainly grown, and I think as state legislators have seen the economic vitality and the jobs that small breweries can create, they've continued to modernize those regulations and allow breweries uh, more regulatory privileges. Yeah, we've had a lot of changes in New York State in the last few years, and I think almost every... The majority of the breweries in, in New York City sell on-premise at the brewery. And it certainly helped the vitality of the brewers, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a great, not only business model because you get a little bit extra margin, but it's a great way, too, of interacting with your consumers and, and getting feedback directly from beer lovers when you do special one-offs. So it's, it's marketing, it's product research, and it's a good business practice all-in-one. Absolutely. So let's roll over to Homebrew. So Homebrewers Association is the sister organization to the Brewers Association, and you mm-hmm. do you occasionally look at, at Homebrew data yeah. as well. Yep. So it's not something that's you know part of my day to day job quite as much. I, I more work with our professional brewers, but you know we have very close ties with the American Homebrewers Association. Our, our Past president Charlie Papazian, you know, was the founder of the American Homebrewers Association and longtime president of the Brewers Association. Um, so um, I'm always excited when we get to interact with them, particularly because you know I think the homebrewing community can can continue to teach a lot to the brewing community since homebrewers are such cutting edge innovators in brewing. And that brings us to one of your um, most recent analysis that you did it was called "Can Homebrewers Predict the Future in Beer?" So talk a little bit about what. How did that um, come about? Well, as my projects often do, I, I found out that there was some data I hadn't looked at. So I was talking with uh, the um, AHA staff and, and found out that they had a lot of great data on um, the National Home Brewing Competition, which is uh, just opened, um, and, and was interested in analyzing that and looking at, at it and lining it up against some of the other market data I had for brewing. And having interacted with homebrewers a lot in the last few years, you know, I had a sense that these people are often on the cutting edge. You know, the, the, the brews that homebrewers are doing are often things that you then see show up in the marketplace, and I wanted to see if the data would bear that out, and um, I started to see a relationship there, so I, I decided to formalize it and write it up a little bit more. And in your findings, you did, this, you did the study regarding to the entries in the 2011 NHC, or the competition, and, and what we had out there, what's trending now, correct? Exactly. So, you know, my... My theory was that if you know we went back a couple of years and we looked for areas in the NHC that were overentered or overweighted, and so people were entering more often than you would expect, given what beers in the marketplace looked like in 2011, that those would probably be categories that would grow. So I lined up those NHC categories with current market data, and sure enough, and it wasn't a perfect relationship, and we see some places where it didn't hold true 100% of the time, but in general... The areas where homebrewers were entering more entries in 2011 were the market segments that grew in craft brewing over the next four years to, to where we are now. So to me, that suggests, and you know, this is correlational data, not causal, but it suggests to me that homebrewers really they understand where beer lovers want beers and, and where that market is going. And, and so it's still probably a good connection point for the professional brewing community. 
Yeah. Uh, can you tell us about um, which of the trends did reflect and which ones didn't? What styles of beer um, did reflect and which uh, ones didn't? Well, you know, it, it was... It, it went across, you know, several styles that we saw, um, you know, the, the relationship work very well. Um, you know, one thing I expected to see more of, um, actually looking back, was, um, was IPAs. You know, IPAs have really been yeah. something that, you know, has, has taken the brewing world by storm in the last couple of years. Um, um, and, and, you know, they did grow, and they were one of the highest ones. But the one at the top um, was Stout, which right. I've written about a little bit, and, um, it's one people sometimes forget about. You know, it's a it's a style that hasn't been, for lack of a better word, as sexy in recent years. But it's one that's actually experienced very strong market growth. A lot of you know brewers are making great stouts, and it's one that when we look back to those NHC entries, we see a lot of entries in 2011. So um, I think that's a good place where it it predicted it. Um, you know, one place it didn't was American Ale. Um, that's partly because those are were getting stolen off in, into IPA. You know, mm-hmm. American Ale and and Pale Ales have have been hit a little bit hard in the marketplaces. Um, the American consumer becomes more of a hop craze monster every year. Um, but, you know, it, I thought it predicted some of the trends very well. Another one that it did a, a great job of was, was Belgian and French ales, which, you know, are still a small percentage of the market, but Saisons, if you look at the scan data, have really been growing very fast in recent years. And those are ones that homebrewers are experimenting with. They're playing around with. They like those flavors that those yeasts can provide. Absolutely. I love the number on the fruit, beer, spice, urban vegetable. As, as well. I've seen a lot of growth, but it says something. It's a testament to the creativity of brewers and kind of people exploring new flavors and options. Meanwhile, those of us judging at the competitions are like, no, don't put me in that category. <laughs> That's one that I yeah. always choose, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, said Mary. She loves that category. <laughs> Also, yeah, you that's, could... that's certainly another great category where we've seen a lot of innovation, and we continue to. I mean, you know, a lot of people, one of the styles that people are talking about for 2016 are these uh, fruit-infused IPAs and other, you know, fruit-infused styles that, that are certainly, I think, things that homebrewers have been doing for a long time. Yep. Absolutely. And it could be said that there are there is always miscategorization. There's a lot of um, more beginner homebrewers, but even homebrewers that just don't, you know, they... They set out to brew one style, and it doesn't quite come out that way, but they enter it as that style anyway. So there is a certain amount of miscategorization that that happens that could account for. Yeah, no, certainly. You know, know, be a small either. Yeah. Have you looked, have you had a chance to look at the change in um, number of entries between like 2011 and, you know, 2014, 2015, the, the growth of those categories? Yeah, and it worked, um, you know, that, that's interesting, and, and that's something that, um, you know, I, I think I mentioned a little bit, at, uh, maybe I didn't actually talk about it in this article, but some of the, the things that are poised for breakouts, um, you know, one of them is, is sours. Sour entries have really gone up in recent years, and, you know, sure enough, in the marketplace, that's another area we're seeing a lot of experimentation from professional brewers, particularly in some of those light sour categories like Gosa and Berliner Weiss that are, you know, really starting to show up on supermarket shelves and um, on tap lists. So, um, you know, I think this relationship will continue to hold going forward be- just simply because homebrewers are such innovators. This article follows or, or, or was just after another article you did on Google searches, and you just said Gosa. Gosa was one of the biggest beer-related Google searches uh, in, in that study. Uh, is there Have you seen a parallel in what's being entered versus, versus the Google data? Yeah, and, you know, some of it is hard because the, the entries are a little bit more aggregated than the styles. So, you know, what is, you know, um, you know sour can have a lot of different styles of beer even within it, as, as I'm sure your listeners know. Um, 
but yeah, you know, I, I think all of these things are correlated, and, and that's one of the things I try to do in my position is look for new streams of data that people haven't thought about that might be helpful as they as they think about the brewing business. And and Google, I mean, Google is one of the greatest data sources we have these days because it really tells you what people are looking for in the world. And I'm not sure whether ghost searches mean people don't understand what the beer is or how to pronounce it or if they're looking to buy it, but it certainly tells you that there's interest there. Definitely. On that note, we're going to take a brief break. We'll be right mo- right back with more Bart Watson. I'm mad about it. Today's program was brought to you by Fire Cider. Did your grandmother ever tell you to drink raw apple cider vinegar? It's good advice, and more common than you may think. For generations of New Englanders, a tot of vinegar was a morning ritual. Taken daily, a tablespoon of unfiltered apple cider vinegar can help support immune function and digestive functions. To the base of certified organic apple cider vinegar, Firesider added whole raw certified organic oranges, lemons, onions, ginger, horseradish, habanero pepper, garlic, and turmeric. They let this mixture steep for six weeks at room temperature to preserve the living vinegar culture and delicate flavors of the ingredients. Lastly, they blend a generous helping of raw wildflower honey into the mix. The result is potent but balanced, offering layers of sweet, tart, and spice. Firesider tastes great on its own or as an addition to tea, juice, or salad. Firesider ships direct from their online store and is available at over 500 locations nationwide. Use their store locator to find one near you and ask for a free sample. For more information, visit firesider.com. Hey, welcome back to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are on the line with Bart Watson, Chief Economist for the Brewers Association. Bart, welcome back. So we're going to go back to um, what you're looking at. So you you have been mentioning super. You've been mentioning mentioning supermarket scans. So tell us a little bit about what what yeah what kind of data. What does that mean? And what kind of data are you getting on actual beer sales? Yeah. So there are a number of companies out there that track beer sales in various ways. Um, you know, we do some of that internally, as I already talked about, based on brew production. But one of the you know valuable tools is. Thanks to the barcode, um, supermarkets now have an incredible amount of data about what Americans buy. And it's not just supermarkets, but convenience stores and really any place you go. And they have a checkout stand and they scan whatever you're buying. And so um, we get data from a, a couple of companies, the IRI Group and Nielsen, and are able then to look at a more granular level some of the styles of beers that people are buying, um, you know, categories within beer, um, look at across the states, um, you know, what's craft share in um, this state versus that state. So it, it allows our members access to data that they probably wouldn't be able to purchase on their own, but through the association, we can aggregate resources and, and get them access to that data. And are you getting any data on draft beer? Um, yeah. Uh, on-premise is harder to track um, simply because there's so many different outlets around the country. It's a less concentrated retail market. Um, but there's, there is some good data on draft beer out there. Um, Guest Metrics is one company that does it. Um, as well as from the, the federal government. Since brewers pay taxes right. on beer, you can get 
uh, very good data on at least the percentage of beer that is draft beer over time because um, when they're filling out federal tax forms, brewers have to say whether it was packaged during keg. So that's how we know that about 10% of the beer produced in the country is, is on draft. Interesting. And what is that craft beer or is that beer overall? That's beer overall, and, and from our internal surveys, we know that craft beer, not surprisingly, is much higher. It has that very strong on-premise presence, um, and so craft beer is, is more like 30% draft production versus 10% for overall beer. Um, and you can see that when you go out to the local pub and, and, and see how many uh, local craft offerings they have on tap. Absolutely. And do you think that number will, will change once you get this new data that you're collecting um, from on uh, at brewery sales? Um, you know, I, I think it, it is showing that we're missing a little bit of that and that it's a little bit higher than we previously thought. Um, you know, some of the early draft numbers from, from other sources have looked a little bit grimmer than I think they are because, you know, breweries are selling a little bit more, you know, directly via microbrewery tap rooms or brew pubs, and, and that's a new channel that we need to have a better handle on. So I, I think that's correct. Um, so I want to ask about other homebrew analyses analyses that you have done. I know that Gary Glass, I was at um, the Hop and Brew School that was through YCH Hops last year, and Gary Glass did a State of the Homebrew presentation. And he had mentioned some interesting kind of, you know, side side data sets that you had looked at. Can you talk, are there any of those that you've run that you would like to talk about? Uh, well, I'm not sure which ones Gary mentioned, but, you know, I'm always looking to, to play around with data and help uh, where possible. Um, you know, one thing I've helped out a little bit with in, in recent years is we do a homebrew shop survey uh, for homebrew shops to try to look at that market and how it's changing um, some of the challenges that homebrew shops face from, you know, say, online retailers. Um, you know, one of the things homebrewing market, uh, one of the challenges it faces is that homebrewing has become very popular, and so now, you know, big national retailers are interested in getting into it as well, and it's not just the, the homebrew shop down the street that you go to, but you can go to you know, these big national retailers or buy products online. Um, so that's one thing I've looked at. Um, one other analysis, analysis I've been looking at more generally is trends on homebrewing. And um, going back to Google searches, which we looked at before, you know, looking at what are the relationship between those searches and, and other things that we see. So if you look, for instance, at the economy, when people are unemployed, homebrewing searches go up. They have a little more time on their hand, a little less money in their pocket, and they still want to drink great beer. Um, <laughs> And so that's one thing, you know, I've been working with the AHA to try to understand, you know, how might you have cycles in AHA membership or in homebrewing enthusiasm as, as the economy changes over time. Then actually, that's, the, the, um, that's what Gary Glass mentioned in his presentation. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad I got one of them. <laughs> <laughs> what about demographics? Do you talk about the demographics of homebrewers? Or craft brew, yeah. or craft, craft brew enthusiast. I mean, it's yeah, a big can of worms. Something we've been, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I was just saying it's a big can of worms because it's, it's based on a lot of things socioeconomically, I think, you know. But, uh, but a, what do you find? It's here? kind of a hot topic for both in both craft brew and homebrew is the diversity or lack of um, of craft brew enthusiasts. So, yeah, we'd love to hear. What, What's the state of the union yeah. for diversity in the, yeah. in the marketplace? Well, it certainly is, you know, not as diverse as our country um, in both regards, but it's changing and it's evolving. And, you know, one thing we have seen in recent years is even though, it, you know, it does still skew male and does still skew white and a little bit higher socioeconomic status, that, that that's changing. And uh, particularly as the millennials have come online, both as home brewers and as, as craft beer consumers, um, you know, they've really done it across, you know, ethnic and, and gender boundaries much more so than previous generations. So 
Um, I'm talking on the craft brewing side now, but but young women, 21 to 34, over-index on craft beer consumption, meaning they consume a higher percentage of, of craft beer than you would expect given their percentage of the population. So I think there's lots of good signs that, that these movements are broadening, that they're bringing in new people, and, and I think that's going to be great long-term for both industries, both for home brewing and for craft brewing, as you get new ideas and, and new people in the movement. Absolutely. I love your job. It's all fun points to do. What else are things that you're looking at? Um, well, you know, I'm always trying to understand kind of, you know, growth or slowdown in the industry. Um, you know, one thing we're looking at, you know, very closely is, is some of the acquisitions that have been happening and how those are going to affect um, small and independent brewers. Um, so that's one thing we're, we're tracking very closely and, and really trying to understand that um, deep beer lover connection to local brands and to, to brands from independent brewers and, and, and how, you know, small local brewers can leverage that connection. Um, other than that, you know, we're, we're also looking a lot at, at the economic impact of the industry. Um, so every two years we've done an economic impact analysis, and it's been pretty incredible to see the number of jobs that, that this creates and, and the importance that it now has in the national economy. I mean, beverage manufacturing is one of the few areas in this country that has grown manufacturing jobs in the last decade, and I think that's a testament to what small entrepreneurs all over the country have been able to do. Absolutely. Hold on, Mary's going to sneeze. That was a good one. <laughs> uh, you are also an ultimate Frisbee champion. That is my that is my other uh, pastime that doesn't often cross into the beer world. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm sure you I'm sure plenty of the beer crosses into that world though. Uh, that's true. Yeah, there's, there's been a beer or two consumed at an ultimate frisbee tournament over the years. Uh, what is the season for ultimate frisbee? For you, I mean, um, well, I mean you. There's different seasons. There's different leagues now. Um, so the the club season, which is the one I've been most involved in, um, kind of runs you know mid to late summer into early fall. Um, but there are now actually a couple of professional leagues around the country: the the AUDL, the American Ultimate Disc League, and the um, uh, the MLU Major League Ultimate. So um, they have different seasons and are and are probably playing games near you. So for listeners who've never seen Ultimate Frisbee, there's probably a professional game of Ultimate going on near you right now. Right now, oh and it's a, it is good weather out here actually right now. You think I could catch a game of the Secret Squirrel? Uh, p- perhaps. <laughs> I hear that's your rival. Is that true? Is the rival uh, say team. that again. Is, is Secret Squirrel your rival team? Um, I don't know. I, that's that's one I don't know about. <laughs> Rachel's giving us the, the eye. She's very excited about this. About this. This. this part. It took me a long time to realize that it was the same person <laughs> when um when I was researching you earlier. Um, it took me about like three read-throughs of the Google pages to realize that the Bart Watson on Ultimate Team and the Bart Watson Beer Economist was the same person. <laughs> It's it's been interesting to watch those shift over time. It used to be uh, Bart, Bart Watson, the ultimate frisbee player. So so it's nice to see that the beer searches at least are competing now. <laughs> so I I can remember you mentioning that there were um, a few larger cities that were lacking in breweries. One of them was Jersey City, which has been taken care of. Are there any mm-hmm. other like odd anomalies like that left that you've noticed um, lately? You know I haven't looked at that as closely recently, but there are still some ones that you know are a little bit. Odd, certainly. Um, you know, for for a long time, El Paso has some breweries now, but El Paso was one I had, I had watched very closely because it's it's actually a very very large metro area when you look at it in terms of its population ranks, but really didn't have a brewery for for a very long time. So I'm glad to see that that one got checked off the list. Um, I'm trying to think of other large ones. You know, it's it's you're really getting down the list now um, to some pretty small 
towns, you know, ones that, you know, still have a couple hundred thousand people, but it's it's been impressive to watch that list just get crossed off um, town after town. Any any town above a million, I think, in the United States has a, has a brewery now, which is incredible. Yeah. At the end of 2015, we were growing at a rate of 1.9 breweries per day. Has that stayed consistent for the last month, or is it too early to say, really? Um, too early to say, and you know, we we, we track breweries, um, you know, pretty consistently, but it's a little bit hard until you really dig into the data to see what that actual opening rate is. But you know, right now there are 2,000 breweries in planning in the country. Um, you know, the TTB license has run 1,500 to 2,000 above our brewery number pretty consistently the last few years. So I don't think we're going to see that brewery opening number slow down anytime soon. And if anything, it may accelerate. That's pretty exciting. Makes life taste better. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we've really seen, you know, on that, you know, people worry a lot, and you haven't asked the uh, the bubble question yet, which I, which I get a lot. Yeah. But, That's, um, I hate um, that question. Worry about that number, and <laughs> yeah. so many breweries have have really redefined what it means to be a brewery. They're I small, agree. they're locally focused, and I think a lot of them could survive. So yeah, yeah. That's one totally thing is because we uh, we know a lot of well, most of the local brewers here, and I know from speaking to them that several now these are smaller breweries; they wouldn't account for much in volume on the overall picture, but they. They actually um, derive. They sell the, the the majority of their profits are gained through their tap room, which in New York City is huge for us because the rent is so damn high that you know the margins <laughs> on, on what we're selling through the tap room yeah. uh, makes a huge difference and for that, sustainability. And these kind of tasting rooms didn't even exist in New York City until within the last what three or four years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that 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 can't be the case only in this state. I mean, we have this wonderful farm brewing license. Um, I think that there are new kind of niches or, you know, it's a very different landscape than it used to be. You no, know, certainly. And I think it's going to continue to evolve as, you know, breweries find a way to make a place. You know, we're seeing lots of passionate people still interested in getting into this um, industry and making a business out of it, making a life out of it. And, um, you know, I think there are niches for differentiation. If you look at a place like New York City, if you can have breweries opening up and surviving and and a place with rents like New York City. I mean, there's no reason we can't have thousands of more breweries in other parts of the country that don't have those capital startup costs. Yep. And thanks to work by the work by the Brewers Association, the publications you guys put out, the education is out there. So making a quality beer is not so inaccessible anymore. I mean, it, it's it's not easy, no doubt. And you know, people, we definitely need to raise the quality everywhere and keep our standards high. Um, but the sharing of information, even amongst the brewers that are already out there, is, is awesome, and everybody's there to help you. Yeah, no, when I got into this industry, I, I heard how collaborative it was, and um, if anything, people were underselling that. It's, it's been amazing to be part of an industry where you know competitors are willing to work together to, to make sure everybody is succeeding. Yep. And with that, we're we gonna, have to call it quits. Yeah, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for being on the show today. We look forward to seeing you at and I think you're doing a seminar. You're doing. You're talking at the National Homebrewers Conference. Yep, I believe I'll be out there in Baltimore again this year. So Fantastic. I'm excited about that. We'll so we will you see you out. Thanks there. Thanks for all the work you do, man. Thank you so much, and we're really well, glad you're part of the Brewers Association and you share your info with everybody. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And people can follow you on Twitter too. Uh, yeah, at uh, Brewers Stats is my Twitter handle. So if you want to learn a lot about beer and stats, that's that's the one to follow. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a cool, you do a lot of cool Twitter tweets, actually. All right. So that's it for tonight. Episode 149 of Femen About It. We'll be back next Monday with more. Femen About It.
for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Battle with no